Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. I'm your guest host, Simon Nainby, and today I'm talking to Sam Portland. Sam is a performance coach and SNC consultant and has a, a specialism in speed development and athletic development in, in rugby, pro and amateur rugby. So uh, I'm really excited to talk to him today and we're going to have a deep dive on speed and SNC and and a little bit about um, being an, a consultant coach. So leaving a club and going out on your own, striking out on your own. So uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have Sam with me today. Good evening, Sam. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Si. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to, 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 to the deep dive. That's the what it deep is. deep dive. Let's get into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really interested to talk to you. It was a, I was really honoured that you decided to invite yourself onto the podcast. So <laughs> you, you were on my list. To, of people to speak to so we just advanced it on a little bit but that, that's really good because uh, I think you've got a, a couple of really interesting stories you've done some really interesting things in rugby and sport in general so just give people a, a little we'll get into your career in a bit more depth a little bit later on but give people a little bit of a potted history of of uh, how you got into SNC and, and where you've worked and the sorts of things you've been up to. Yeah um, so real yeah real cliff notes um, you know played rugby since I was eight years old like chasing trials got let go from an academy because I was too small 18 months later I was 15 stone you know the, the you know the same all the all that jazz and then you know played semi-pro rugby a lot of time at Henley Hawks kind of doing my thing there alongside um, and the key point was when I broke my leg um, and then I had to rehab uh, my own broken leg because of the NHS provision was just not what it for sport and and in that time I got onto a personal training qualification I had to drop out of uni went back to uni um, and had started my business then coaching and and so I did three years at Brunel finished Brunel got an internship at London Wasps in the academy within 18 months I was working in the first team uh in 20 and i that was a total of about four and a half years or so i was there um then uh, i resigned from my position there in the following summer uh i i was working for ealing trail finders i was two and a half years there i got let go um call it professional disagreements over player welfare and um and then from there, I, I just took the plunge and 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 said, you know what, I'm uh, I'm I'm going and I'm making this stick all on my own because I'd worked three jobs whilst I was doing all the others, and I thought, you know what, that badge on the shirt, you know, it it doesn't mean anything. It's about what you're doing as a job and and who you're helping. So that's the cliff notes. And so now you're working as a consultant to various sort of teams and Yeah. Yeah, so so it's quite funny since the time I from I, I've got a post ready to go up actually about it because from the time I've I've I left um, uh, Ealing, I then I've ended up working with Kenya Rugby Sevens, British Bobsleigh athletes, uh, some England Sevens athletes, um, NFL players, um, probably ten different clubs in professional rugby. Um, I consulted with Burnley Town Football Club for two days here in the Premier League. Uh, presented to over 500 coaches in a six-week six period. Um, now run a mentorship program um, and and also a part of my business as well. I have an academy, so we do a long-term athlete development and um, and I also train not just elite athletes, but I work with more amateur general what quote unquote general population athletes on on developing their athleticism as well so it's you know i love just moving the needle for people in any way i can 
you're a busy boy busy yeah I, I enjoy it it's it's fun it's it's passion you know and and do, do you know what the funniest thing is i actually work less hours now with all those different things going on than i ever did working in in one club so you know it's it's a bit it's freeing it's fun and i get to wear my own badge on my shirt now yeah yeah well <laughs> I, I think um that's really been brought home to a lot of people uh what was going on with covid and lockdown and like i say, i think we'll, we should get into that um mm. in, in some depth a little bit later about the the, the coaching business and and those yeah. opportunities around that but um first up I, I really wanted to speak to you because you've got a real interest and real passion for speed yeah and this is becoming a huge topic now in sport you know the i'd say like rugby is a very young professional sport and uh although it went professional sort of like 95 96 um it, it really took a while for that to bed in it's quite funny i was reading a story a little while ago it was a Chris Chesney talking about when he first went professional at Saracens and they literally just saw it as being a job so they expected them to be in there right well you've gone professional now you're going to be in there 40 hours a week sort of like nine to five five days a week you know and 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 how how crazy that was and and now it's starting to settle down and so strength and conditioning was quite a quite a a difficult thing for a lot of clubs and sports to get their head around and and now they're starting to settle into a a rhythm on that and and we're now realizing that speed is 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 what you know this the phrase is speed kills yeah and so i just wanted to talk to you about that really so what what was it about um about that area that sort of caught your passion you know set fire under you um i was a winger yeah okay yeah so um and 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 it was quite interesting i never really trained speed you know, um, but I was always fast, you know, I, you know, like playing in, in the leagues that I've played in, you know, I, I had many 60 meter finishes. And so like I just and then when I started coaching, but my acceleration was never good. You know, I was six foot four, long, long legs and top end guy. So um, and then I started trying to figure it out. And then when I started coaching and really starting applying it, you you start to see the the changes come in. You start to respect it as a skill because it became it came quite naturally to me. I I didn't appreciate how powerful it was until you started implementing and, and navigating and problem solving with all these younger athletes to then start start making massive changes. And I actually during that uh, those early days my uh, my girlfriend at the time was the number one uh, number four ranked heptathlete in the country in great britain and so i'd go and watch her train and go and watch her sessions and then you know help out as and as and when i could um which then kind of led me on a path i worked for a year with a with an elite track and field group we had national medalists and stuff like that and and that whole area just became just really alive in me. It resonated with me because of a personal thing, but then I knew and started to really appreciate and see the gap that was just gaping there, that the information just wasn't crossing over and 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 also realizing how um, tied to the gym I was in my beliefs um, and how tied I was to, you know, what weight I could lift and, and all these things. And it was actually when the penny dropped, I realized it was actually making me slower. I actually was detraining what I was good at. So that's kind of how it sort of really lit that spark in me. And 
and it led you know when I was, I was doing the rehab and stuff at was and you had to retrain gait and and all those sorts of things you, you know from my experience in track and field where you get a lot of foot and ankle injuries you appreciate how much of a skill it is and and you you know my programming paradigm completely shifted you know it's 60 percent movement literacy and speed and 40 percent gym and conditioning so that's 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 how it lit me up that that is often a criticism aimed at rugby snc within yeah. the sport and from without the sport is that oh, they spend too much time in the gym and mm. it's something we're really seeing change now and we, we we can see a lot of a lot of rugby snc's have gone out and spent time in a uh, track and field as you yeah. have and, and a lot of track and field coaches have come in and started consulting within rugby as well so there's a lot more yeah. sort of transfer of of um of information there so i'm sort of uh, interested if we take it down to the bottom level so yeah. we're looking grassroots amateur type stuff before we get into the more sort of deep stuff so i'm a big believer in earning the uh, earning the right okay so yeah. um <clears throat> not not too worried about getting bands and chains out and doing special mm. exercises with people that can't do 10 press-ups it's like okay you, yeah. you can't squat properly you can't do 10 press-ups so i spend a lot of time with people doing the basics yeah. so from a speed development perspective mm-hmm. what, what what do you see as being the the basics the underpinnings that that really need to be in, in place that, so that would be simple stuff that any rugby coach could be working on yeah yeah no definitely I completely agree with you and and I think if we we just need to reframe the way we look at speed you know there's lots of rugby coaches listening to this you need to re, reframe running as how you would coach tackling and how you would coach passing uh you've got different types of passes you know so and there's different types of gait patterns and movement patterns so it deserves the same attention because i mean if you think about it what's the you spend more time running in a game than you do anything else so we need to create economy and efficiency so from a basic point of view the the um the simple phrase that I use with all my athletes and even my pro, some of my pro guys that come to me, they start at exactly the same place as my nine-year-olds in my academy. And because it's about earning the right and understanding the skill. Yes, they will progress through quicker, but um, they need to understand that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. It's the only thing that I would take from the military for physical preparation is that saying. <laughs> and so... Um, and so when we look at it, it, you know, understanding your basic running drills, understanding your basic movement. Um, so like your ankling, your A skips, your B skips, your your um, your basic jumps, uh, starting to treat the muscle how it how it needs to be treated, because heavy and slow in the gym doesn't create a, a, a pliable tissue. Um, you know, when you're tossing a pizza, you need to put air in it. You need to get it loose. And that's what running and moving is all about. And so I, I use a really simple progression model. And this I talk to all my coaches about is if you know, if you know what your end product is, then you can create a sequence of exercises in order that meet a the KPI of skill learning. But then you can also take that another exercise and add a little bit of load or resistance to it to then stress it 
which will then help with transfer. So it's a really simple system. And say for acceleration, I've probably got about a 20 exercise sequence that we go through. And it starts from just being our basic wall drills. And I think these are really undervalued because when we're teaching athletes to learn positions and, and know their body orientation and a, and a big thing with wall drills, what people um, fail to realize is you know, a wall drill, yes, it teaches you your visual position, but what it also does is it allows you to understand how you put tension into your body, which is often overlooked because you'll find your sweet spot because everyone says angular acceleration, 45 degrees, but it's not. It's it's somewhere in a range. And so you need to get your athlete learning. Uh, you know, we do um, two handed, you know, wall drill, find your angle, find the angle where you feel the Achilles start loading up and your body starts putting tension in it because it will just turn on. It's it's physics. It's, it's the angles that we'll sit and the body needs to find them. Then we'll just go to one leg. Then we'll start under, understanding, can we, you know, so it's called a load and smash. Can we uh, uh, um, sit back or into our hip on one leg with a leg behind and feel that tension? Can we, can we move forward? But as we move forward, do we, do we allow the shin to come forward and drop? So there's all these like small nuances within all these skills and drills that allow so much adaptation to occur. And I think this is where the big shift is that people are understanding transfer training now. What does X actually give us? And and when we're when we're looking, you, do, you wouldn't take um, you know, it goes back to that four stages of competence. And and with speed, there's uh, uh, generally you know, across the industry, there's still this um, uh, this unconscious incompetence to what we're doing. We know we need to do it, but we, we don't know how. We don't know where to start. And so, also, you know, all we have to do is create this shift to to conscious incompetence, and then you then you're open. And I do I use that same model with my athletes as well. As soon as you can, you show them how and teach them what to look for, then you then you then you're done. And then, then they start progressing through really, really nicely. Um, and for coaches out there, use a really simple coaching model with large groups is I turn everyone into a coach. So when we use our wall drill system, you know, we've got about six or seven exercises that we use on the wall drill. And we just have a triangle. You've got one doing, one watching, one coaching. So we're hitting um, kinesthetic, visual and auditory coaching patterns all the time and you just give them one or two things to look for like the points that i've meant are they in the right angle have they got tension you know two simple things and then you get them to put each other in these positions and then they learn it three times three different ways and and then it starts cementing so we're, we're, we're trying to hit all these angles at, at all times so that's like a really basic starting point and i've gone off on a bit of a tangent with it there but you know starting from the basic wall drills you need stability athletes need stability we don't want to go into this chaotic environment and you can talk about some of the issues with some of the common speed training mistakes is that you know when we play um when we look in for speed development speed development is um in absence of speed expression because speed expression that we've seen in games has actually caused by an external result so there's something that they're chasing 
there's something that's happened that's made them move fast but when we're looking for speed development we're we're very frontal brain in what we're doing whereas in a game it's reptilian brain and we're we're just acting and as a coach that's where you need to see your transfer but you need to pay respect to the development on the front end so you can let that happen and and people say well you know develop speed in small-sided games no you don't you're just rehearsing the same dysfunctional patterns and, and and this is why i start everyone at the same same place um because if we, if we think you know it's easy to turn an, an oven up and, and juice the chicken than it is to turn it down and turn back the clock you know you want to be able to make sure we're getting as much adaptation out of every single level that we're at so we so we don't waste it because by the time you're actually getting into resisted sprints and stuff, if you're not mechanically sound and you're coordinating well, appreciating rhythm, timing, synchronization, then you've got to undo it all and then start all over again. So you don't want to miss those windows of adaptation. But then it is a, uh, going back to that appreciation that running is a skill. You can, you know, I have a 30... 32 year old hit lifetime best in, in 10 20 and gps speed with me and he had played for wales he's an international athlete and at 32 or whatever he's still lifetime besting so everyone has the ability to improve their speed because everyone has a has a potential to increase and if you've never done it more than likely you're going to be really susceptible to to fundamental simple basics uh, there's a huge amount in what you just said there. I, I think we just to pull out a couple of things. I really like the um, the model of getting three three players coaching because uh, it's one of my favourite phrases. Is when one teaches, two learn. And quite often, yeah. when I've got um, uh, kids at the, at the college that I coach, if if they've got a base level of understanding, they want to push a little bit, little bit more. As I get them to coach other kids, and like yeah. it, that, it really cements in and into their head about what they're doing. But, mm. but the, the thing I wanted to sort of like pick up on there is um, a little bit around what you're, we'll, we'll use the example of wall drills. Yeah. Um, they're a very simple thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a huge value in doing them because I think yeah. a lot of rugby coaches would gain a huge amount from understanding that. Let's, let's take, for example, uh, you had a, a back row player who's extremely yeah. strong. Yeah. But they could be very, very weak in certain positions mm-hmm. so so you know if we're talking about um oh developing speed through small sided games and there is a yeah. big push in rugby to do everything through games is you know, quite a lot of them will be unable to develop that speed because they're too weak to be able to put themselves in the positions they need to be able to express yeah. force to, to their to their capacity and so yeah. it can be it can be mind-blowing to, to rugby coaches you know they've got a, a back row player in his 20s big squat numbers big bench numbers but they can't get themselves into certain positions and that's yeah. a little bit of what the wall drills do so that thing of showing them the positions they need to be in developing the tissue tolerance okay. yes um so do you want to talk a little bit about that because i think that'd be quite interesting i think a lot of coaches can uh, rugby coaches can look at speed and it can be really overwhelming oh yeah but if you if you break down some of these things and say look you know 
we want a, 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 we want, want them to be developing force and, and moving mm. at a, a roughly forty five degree angle. But you, yeah. you put them on the wall and you can see that they struggle to hold those positions. You know, if you've got to yeah. do it for thirty seconds, they'll be shaking. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to talk around around that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. And it's 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 so true. All the all the points that you make it, and that's a common problem that you still see even at the international level. You've got big strong boys that that can't turn, can't move. You know, and and these are their quote unquote power players, and it's like, come on, man, you're better than that. You know, you're still, you could be, you could be a lot better. And so when, um, and and so so when we're trying to, so we take an as a as a developmental principle when we when we use them on on wall drills, and because the body will only tolerate um, what the tissue can handle. And if we think about a sprinting with an elastic band, essentially, really simple. You know, pull the elastic band slow, snaps back slow. It's got an equal and opposite reaction. Pull it fast, and if it's not strong enough, it'll snap. So that's where, you know, no one pulls a hamstring jogging. And so when we when we think about, you know, if we relate it back to your sprinting injuries, your hamstring, your calf, quad, hip flexor, um, it's all done at high velocity. And the reason why that happens is because the body is not being conditioned to, to tolerate that level of speed even though it can produce it it's still not being conditioned to tolerate it so using those and finding those specific positions um that um and this is the thing it's 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 not replicate replication and it's not simulation it's specific training you know that's a gap that that people lose sight of and so when we're um when we're finding specific positions and the isometric holds what we're what we're doing is asking the body can it can it stabilize co-contract which is a massive thing of sprinting where two two or three or more muscles work in sequence together to allow movement to occur and and um and is it harmonious you know i look at sprinting like an orchestra um and and or you need all the pieces to start coming together what's that famous pavarotti song and the Ness and Dorma, right? Yeah. yeah. So you know your wall drills sit in, and they're 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 like your cellos, and 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 they're just building the feeling. And this is the thing: like you have to feel these positions, and you feel it in your muscles, but you need to feel it in your body. You build up that tissue tolerance, and then you start bringing in all these different instruments um, as we start increasing. And then, you know, when when Pavarotti's giving it bells, how the end of the stream goes and the analogy is that you're running flat out full sprint and in control of it. And so that's kind of a way in which you can um, start understanding. And, and for every level you progress in speed, you need to revisit the previous ones. And this is why a stream of exercises is really important, because the thing about speed is if from initial acceleration, if you start getting um, faster out of the blocks, it's going to have subsequent uh, consequences to the second, third and fourth. It's like a domino. And um, and 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 if you, you know, essentially what you're doing from domino one to domino two is actually spacing them out a little bit further so you need to make the spacing sequence and that's that analogy there is is all about skill 
timing and tolerance and so when we use those basic drills and, and for coaches you can do this in warm-ups when i was working in a part-time rugby club we would we had 15 minutes and and we would always focus on some form of acceleration you do wall drills partner up 30 seconds each side and we progress through things a little bit quicker because you know we need to need to turn it over and but what i would urge is you know people listening to this so they can start to grasp the appreciation of how important running is and not only excuse me not only to actually um create uh problems for oppositions on the field but also to protect their players and that's where the tissue tolerance side comes into it um and 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 also appreciating every level because you know if you don't believe me try it 30 second wall hold try it whilst putting tension into the body and when we talk about sprinting it's about separating the hip from the foot to the ground we're trying to create that separation um and 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 if you're doing that and you're 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 not even pushing maximally you're just creating tension you hold that for 30 seconds you'd be you'd be in trouble um and and that that gives you a really good indication of if you can't hold those positions and own those positions and then be pushed around in those positions and be able to stay stiff is where we use like modeling on and, and disruption um then how do you expect to um do it where your legs are moving at five six seven even ten meters per second you know how do you expect your body to handle that and and then and then on the flip side you relate it back into a technical event in the game What's better? You know, the, the guy that the guy that gets hit in contact and goes back or the guy that gets hit in contact and goes forward. You know, if you if you go back and watch, I did it for my YouTube channel. I a- analyze big hits from a sprinting point of view. And the guys that that come off better have the have more optimal shin angles going into collisions. And and so and they're able to actually accelerate through a collision. And so, so that's huge. And I mean, I mean, you know, my views. I'm a winger, so I, I don't like collisions. And and the English and the the English game, you know, is a lot of power. You know, but we need more speed. We need more jouet. Um, but that's my opinion anyway. But hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I think uh, there's a, there's a few sort of golden rules of speed on a very top level. So without going too deep into shin angles and things like that, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking of the amateur coaches that are looking to put put some of this stuff into their into their week, and we can probably talk yep. about what a week could look like and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a few things that I see that you know when you go down to watch a rugby club training or whatever, and they might say, "Oh, we we'll do we we'll do some speed work or we'd we'll work on some power," and you yep. see a couple of key sort of mistakes being made in what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what would be some sort of golden rules um that you think very top level very easy for people to 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 implement as a grassroots amateur coach or uh, coaching kids what sort of heuristics and rules of thumb do you think could you use so for example one of the ones i always just tell is like if you want to do speed let's do it at the beginning of the session i.e the warm-up because you're fresher you need to be uh rested to be able to do it so have you got any sort of like golden rules a, a rule of thumb that for speed that you'd like to see or you would recommend coaches to use yeah 100 percent. a really simple one for for your athletes is 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 just getting them used to throwing their body forward throw your body in the way that you want to go because if you don't you're not going to be you're losing potential and 
and and that's that's a hard thing for people to grasp you know in a two-point stance we call it a one-step push out stand there you know single rep and just push and throw your body forward see how far you can go off one step learning to 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 move your mass and and because that's what everyone looks at is, you know what is someone who can beat a player someone who can move his body mass around and control it um so essentially you just want to you want your athletes so it's really simple things um a couple of things learn to throw your body weight forward uh you know if you drop a bouncy ball it'll only bounce up so high you need to throw that bouncy ball into the ground so you need to attack the ground with your with your with your legs and 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 there's a lot of those simple cues will find them in those positions for you if you get an athlete throwing their body weight forward and smashing the ground as hard as they can they're gonna they're gonna move because they just have to it, it goes into the whole stumble reflex and it's built into our body so you just have to encourage it and and then and then what i would say uh, from that's from like an acceleration point of view you need to um you need to get your athletes to learn how to bounce you know for your top end running they need to be efficient they need to be elastic so you know simple not high knee running but bounce running you know start off by running on the moon as you would do so you're you're, you're learning to push out the ground and then you just want to speed it up a little bit. So just a little bit um, more pop, you know, bounce is a bit heavy and then you take it to pop and then there'll just be pop, 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 bouncing off the ground. And you can do sets of 30 or 40 meters. It gives you lots of hip conditioning, which is good for the muscles. But then it also teaches the athlete just to feel light, feel bouncy, feel in control of their own legs. Um and, and learning to get their feet back under their body and just bounce and, and push their hips forward. You know, when um, uh, when people are doing that exercise, I just say, imagine someone's behind you just pushing your ribs forward the whole time because you just want to create a little bit of an ang- angular lean, bounce, 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 and then you're good to go. Like a couple of really simple things that will allow massive changes as well. Um. The other thing I think it might be worth having a chat about here is uh, extensive pliers because I know you're a huge yeah. advocate of those. And I think so if we're talking about developing some uh, tissue tolerance, so developing yeah. some conditioning in the lower limb, some rhythm and fluidity. So do you want to yeah. explain what they are um, yeah. and how they might be used by coaches? Because I think they're something that's really beneficial um, mm-hmm. for, and, and again can be done as a warm up. Yeah, hundred percent. No, definitely. So, extensive pliers. You know, obviously we've got coaches may know this term from the. You've got extensive games and intensive games. So we we sit on the extensive side of it with our with our um, plyometrics and our jump training. And like you said, we're looking to increase um, fluidity, rhythm timing and coordination that's the fundamentals of sprinting and if we can do it just through some basic jumps then they're gonna they're gonna start to that rhythm's gonna transfer they need to learn that rhythm and and so what the what the extensive jumps do you can pick anywhere i mean if we're going to place it in a warm-up you only want to pick maybe four to five exercises and do you know anywhere between eight to 12 reps of each but it shouldn't feel harder than six out of ten effort and and within that what you're getting is you know we talked about having a, a weak elastic band that's pulled really fast and snapped we're we're not pull we're, we're we're pulling it slightly fast 
and and what's going to happen is as that that rhythm that the and the the contractions are taking place it's going to start thickening up the tendons it's going to start making them a lot more robust and you know anyone who's listening has ever had a tendon issue they're they're a nightmare to get rid of and tendons cause problems because the structures don't work well enough and then we create inflammation and so within that essentially when uh, when we sprint and when we're tra- creating power movement the muscle st- uh, is basic put gets put on a handbrake so the tendon can flex so the tendon can stretch and that's whether we get that elasticity but then all the way through those jumps um it's really aerobic and we know that rugby is an alactic aerobic sport so if you did three sets of 40 or 50 jumps for instance you know your heart rate's going to be going and you're you're getting specific um muscle endurance you know this stuff's been around since you know the early soviet days and it just gets overlooked because it's so vital and the you, jumpers would use these jump circuits sprinters would use these sprint uh, these circuits and we jump and we sprint when we play rugby and it's it's a really specific tool so what it does is it starts um creating this um base of tolerance of which you can then start putting intensity on and you know that's that's the key premise is same you know you, you're never gonna you're never gonna whirl out 10 zingers off your right hand if if you can't push 20 passes you know it's the same relationship so what do extensive pliers look like so i'm just imagining someone that doesn't know anything about them yeah what is the extensive plyometrics and what would it look like when you're doing it um so a couple of exercises you can do would be, I, I use this sort of basic circuit so you do pogo jumps so simple like ankle dorsal like flexions just popping your feet off the ground with stiff knees um then you would do like tuck jumps for instance because tuck jumps um help you get your thigh up and which is massively important in sprinting then you do squat jumps um so hands on hips and just jump in a in a smooth you're not trying to jump as fast as possible or high as possible. You're just trying to create rhythm. Um, and so in your head, if, if you're, you know, it should be a tempo of like one, two, one, two, one, two. And you can just see that jump coming through. Uh, then I would do lunge jumps, which are a little bit harder. But, you know, we sprint on one leg and we need we need the coordination of the legs changing over. And then I would do... Um, uh something like speed skaters so we get the lateral component for change of direction you jump from one leg to the other you know sideways yeah Yeah, so really simple and it's a really even tempo um and and it creates really valuable conditioning It it reminds me of a story actually the first year i had alex gray when he came back from the atlanta falcons i took him through my speed warm up and um it took him well over half an hour because he was just deconditioned to sprinting and deconditioned to running, you know, three weeks later, he's doing it in 15 minutes. And, and, and that shows the power of, of that, you know, someone who's elite level athlete coming into this type of training is still not prepared for it. So that's why the basics win all the time because we, we need to, to prepare his working tissue and his engine, his body so that we could run fast. It'd be irresponsible to run him fast then. If he's if he's blowing out of his backside when he's doing the warm up, then then you have to make a conscious decision. And I had another guy come to me, and we literally did bounce runs for um, forty five minutes because he just wasn't conditioned to run fast. 
Um, and so, you know, it's about respecting those processes. I, th- I think it's uh, that's such an important point because a lot of te- a lot of the athletes I've worked with or teams I've worked with, I sort of say to them, okay, extensive plows is the first uh, first thing we're going to do. And the aim is two sets of 20 metres with no rest yeah. in between. And you say, right, we're going to do it over 10 metres and you're going to walk back between each drill. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to get plenty of recovery and they're dying. <laughs> yes. And again, like the, the other coaches, the sport coaches have been there going, oh, what's going on here? You know, like they're big, strong yeah. boys. They're fit. They can run all day. But they're not conditioned for mm. the activities that underpin yeah. speed and sprinting. Yeah. And so then sequentially, then we can start to take it up. So I say, right, okay, we'll just do one set over 10 metres next week over 15 meters next week over 20 meters and then start to do it with no rest and then two yeah. sets of 10 meters 15 minutes to, and if it, very slowly you're then giving them that adaptation very slowly in a yeah. stepwise fashion yeah and it's but also not only is it just creating the the um the, the adaptations that you want the physiological adaptations but then it teaches them the rhythm and the fluidity because a very simple drill to do Yes, yeah. there's not a lot of coordination in it. It's just hands on hips, two foot pogo jumps mm-hmm. down a track, yeah. and people will struggle with that. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. They'll struggle yeah. with it from a skill point of view, but also yeah. from a conditioning point of view. And it's it's quite yeah. it can be quite interesting to see the that back, the backwards pogo is taken down many <laughs> yeah. an athlete, <laughs> yeah, and a coach we've made yeah. demonstrating it as well. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So for for coaches that let's start to stitch that together a little bit for them mm-hmm. in, in a week uh, or and a, a week to week type scenario is like if you were going to take a, an amateur grassroots type club yep. start to say okay so we're going to do the first 10 to 15 minutes of every session will be a warm-up slash speed yes type uh, component within our session so then you can you can get it into your coaching uh, for rugby. You can get that in there. What what would that look like, and how would it develop? So, and try and explain it in quite a lot of detail because people might not know what a wall drill is. So try and be quite specific about about what it would look like. How would you approach that? Yeah. So uh, the way that I've done it in previous clubs, like I've done, I've I've ran SNC programs for amateur semi professional clubs, and you know you you train Tuesday and Thursday, and and you're lucky if everyone gets there on time. And so, and even at this, you know, semi-pro, they're paid to be there. Some some people don't, you know, they rock up at 7.30, you know, and just stick their boots on. So you have to, you have to pay a lot of respect to the warm up and those, those sorts of things. And, and, and the, the key thing, um, and, and it's funny, there's so many similarities to elite preparations. Um, you just don't do too much. You, you, you can't afford to do too much. And and so so the way that we we started is that it's easier to learn to sprint in a straight line than change direction to start off if you've never done it. So on a Tuesday, uh, session one would all be acceleration focused, and then session two would be um, maximum velocity, some more upright running mechanics. And, and they would both start on on really simple drills, like we just talked about the extensive jumps. They would um, they would be part. So you do all your general mobilizations um, and all your specific uh, sprint stretching. So lots of hamstring neural work um, because a lot of guys are just really tight and you can't sprint if you're not tight. Um, no, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I confused myself. Um, and um, so 
so on the Tuesday, we would come in uh, and then we'd start off with a basic uh, wall drill. Um, learning, well, actually I'll reframe. So we'll go through a, a march sequence. So teaching, learning uh, and teaching the athletes to be able to march on the spot with good posture, nice tall ribs, um, upright, you know, over-exaggerated movements. Can they pull from their, use their hamstring to bend their knee as opposed to use their hip flexor? So, and that's a key thing, contract your hamstring to lift your leg up because you need that to happen in sprinting. So, and then we'll do some basic march sequencing out to then reinforce rhythm and timing. Then we'd start looking at some of our um, more dynamic drills. So you do your ankling, which is just um, on your toes, well, flat foot, um, and just bouncing from one foot to the other, moving forward. Can we be stiff through our ankle and, and get pop out of the ground um, and go forward. So uh, that basically what you're asking the athlete to do there is push their center of mass forward. Just push it forward and then push themselves away from the ground. Then we'll start doing like A skips. Um, and that that's more of a coordinative effort. Um, and then we'd probably stop there. You know, so we've got three basic drills that we that we want to use um as dynamics and then we've got our march progression then we'd go on to our wall drill like this is the angle find your angle where you feel your body starts producing tension because they'll find it um and then from there it'll be okay so you've got your hands on the wall it'll be all right okay when you're in that ten tense position just do some squats so you keep your heels off the ground, do some squats, learn how to push off two legs. Really, really simple. Um, and then it would um, then we would hold um, uh, with one leg on the ground, nice and straight, chest up, posture pushing forward and then bring our thigh forward, not up. So we bring our thigh forward because it's the way that we want to go. Fundamental rule of sprinting is push in the direction you want to go push into the ground in that opposite way and it will throw you where you need to go really simple so then we'd have that we'd have that first one and then and then we would take the same same fundamentals um there's a simple formula that we use is like slow obviously slow is smooth smooth is fast so can we uh, can you show me you is when we start moving the acceleration progressions can you do it static can you do it with some movement so we'll go from find you know, find that front side position we call with the thigh forward, leg straight back, put it down, put it back up again, put it down, put it back up again. Then, oh, can you put it down and then pick the other one up without losing tension? And this is what you see. You'll see a bit of rotation and a bit of guessing. Use that hamstring to keep bending the knee. Uh, and so and then it will be like, right, so what do we need? We need rhythm because acceleration is actually slow and should feel slow and it's optimal. Um, so then we'll be on the wall drills. This is how, just how we start. And then it would be like, right, so can we go from one leg to the other um, with good timing? Can you do 20 contacts and it look good and it looks smooth and it looks slow, getting you groups of three um, coach them up, you know, that's what we want to see. Are they finding M positions? Are they doing well? Um, and, and then from there, it, we would start actually looking at some um, uh, force expression. And this is probably where I'd stop in the first session with this sort of stuff because you only got 15 minutes. Right. So you would um, you would go back into your squat position 
and, and get yourself closer to the wall and then um, create a static push. So you're trying to push the fence down or push the gate over, pushing through your, your body, uh, through your feet, but transferring it through your body into the fence. And then, then you'll be able to see as a coach who can hold tension in the body. And that's huge because you think contact, you have to create tension. And if you to get through contact, you know, you have to be able to get tense, get relaxed, get tense, get relaxed to, to beat all these different components. And then we so we do that on two legs, then we just do it on one leg. Um, and then that would that would set us up really nicely because there's so many repetitions, so much rhythm, timing, tissue training that we've, we've spoke about. And then, you know, um, we would chuck our jumps in at the end and and just to and that would be like the pulse razor at the end of the warm up. Um, so and then extensive pliers, do you mean jumps? Yes. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The extensive pliers. Sorry. Yeah. And then on the on the Thursday, we would revisit a very similar formula. You know, we the thing is, is. You don't want to create variety in your um, uh, body preparation. So that's all your mobilizations and everything. You don't want to create variety in it because you want a set sequence, which will then start uh, coaching your athlete. Because you're, you know, uh, if you do like a, a five minute continuous ground based warm up, um, you know, that's quite taxing on the body. <laughs> like people will find that quite hard and it's it's that next level of conditioning you know with my elite guys we've got more time so we'll do 20 minutes on the ground getting the body right training all those little muscles um so we don't create variety in that we need consistency and just and just like everything we do we have a consistent message across the whole whole session then we would we would go right because what we need to see is transfer so we would stay with march ankle a skip then we would um, uh, it would the coaching direction would there would be who remembers ankling? Yeah, okay, show me. Cool, everyone go, you know. And then uh, then you just so you're creating this um, uh, this learning process the whole time. And then we'd start looking at maximum velocity sort of specific stuff that we talked about doing just bouncy runs. Can we can you run on the moon? But can you can you move your legs a bit faster? Can you get your thigh up? Can you stay tall? Um, and that's very taxing on the body as well. Um, and and then um, and then we would start maybe looking at more um, uh, vertical type jumps. So like maybe extensive skips for height for 30 or 40 meters, maybe some uh, gentle scissors, you know, scissor runs, because that's what they do is that reinforces the ground contact that we want. We, we... What, what does a scissor run look like? So, um, like, uh, uh, oh God, it left, obviously going straight, from left foot to, to right leg. foot, straight leg bound. That's it. Yeah. So, so, and, and what you do there with the athlete is like, can you rip your leg back under your body to, to move yourself forward? So it's a really nice exercise and the conditioning there, because you think about it when that foot hits the ground, the body has to create tension. So the hamstring, all the tendons are doing all the work. So, um, so and then and then obviously, if it's doing the work, you're naturally going to get faster. So then you have to rip your leg off the ground faster, which is pulling that elastic band faster. So, um, you know, then they actually become, um, as you say, conditioning tools, but tools that really help transfer. And you could build them out to 30, 40, 50 meters uh, and then get them to when they get like up enough speed, just 
kick out into a into a high knee run. So we're we're, we're then getting a um, a picture of what it all looks like and the end goal. After a period of time, when that starts looking really smart, because with acceleration, you basically we just say you have to whack yourself up to upright running. Um, one of the big things is that people will try and like pop up too early. And even though rugby, we're upright anyway, so we can't afford to just pull our chest up. Because the problem is, if we when we talk when I talked about it before, with sprinting, you're trying to push your hips, separate the space between your hips and your legs, your, your hip and your foot as fast as possible on on and pre-ground contact. But if your chest comes up and comes out of alignment, then your hips are gonna get stuck. And you'll never get faster. You, you, you know, many people will probably see the guy that breaks the gain line and then looks like he slows down. And it's because he, he can't separate enough to hold his speed. So so then we would condense those two days after maybe about three to four weeks and, and, and start learning um, how to push into our upright position. Um, keep throwing your body weight forward as i used before and hitting the ground back un- underneath your hips you will just come up and just letting it happen naturally and then you just as a coach my coaching process is then to start getting that to happen sooner and faster um and then on the other day would start introducing change of direction stuff so learning how to crab walk sideways learning how to stand one way and get our leg across our body to face the other way and it's all the same principles. You'd use the wall drills. So you'd be able, right, can you lean at 45 degrees off one hand and, and create tension in your body? You know, if I push on you, are you strong or are you weak? And then can I get my knee across the body? Can I push it? Which is a crossover. And <clears throat> surprisingly not, when I do, I had a multi-directional day with my guys this morning, actually. And it was the first one for a while. And their groins and their hips, they're just like, I can really feel this. And and what people forget is that, obviously, the, the you know, you've ever had a groin issue. They're a nightmare to get rid of. And, it, and what it does is actually not only help learn how to move more efficiently, it's to condition your body into those positions that you visit over and over again. But if you're doing them in isolation and you're starting to get a little bit of kickback because your body's like, whoa, this is a lot of load. It's like, well, then there's your weak link that you need to keep developing. And so we'd follow the same principle, learning how to cross over. Can we do it on two legs? Can we then get on one leg and back down, get the knee back across the body, back down, change sides? And then we'd start repping it out. And our warm up drills is we would start learning how to run backwards learn how to pivot so go from one leg to the other think like a basketball player moving up and down the court um i steal a lot from basketball with all my multi-directional stuff because they're in that perfect low position and they have to keep space all the time which is brilliant for contact uh, setting up contact but also beating defenders um then you, you know the good old karaoke is fantastic can you can you do a karaoke into an acceleration so then we start bleeding in what we learn on a Tuesday and, and fitting it into a Thursday because change of direction is essentially acceleration sideways. So when they're learning all of this in the early stages on the front end, learning how to throw their body forward, if you learn, learn how you know how to throw your body forward, just throw it sideways. Throw it sideways and have a go. Um, don't be afraid to fall over uh, because you won't fall over twice, you know, because your body will 
correct you and so that's kind of how we would um we would stream it out and we rarely get into um competitive change of direction work uh, we use athletes to coach each other so today the example would be a reverse it would be a face-off pivot so one's going backwards and they're being taught by the guy who's coming forwards they have to maintain two meters space so so the big thing and the big education gap with players is actually understanding time and space um and so when you know if you use a, an argument you're running at five meters per second and you're trying to beat someone three meters away you're going to lose because you you have less than a second to to do that so actually effective change of direction starts 10 meters away from your opponent because that gives you two seconds of buy-in at five meters per second let alone seven eight or nine meters per second so we use these these drills and so you can imagine everyone knows what a pivot or like a reverse jockey is it's um getting your hips at 45 degrees and then turning your hips and you're pivoting off the the you're pushing off the front foot and you're turning off the back foot so you're pushing your hips open all the time and they just mirror each other so the guy coming forward when he turns his hips the guy going backwards has to turn his hips he's got a really complicated task he's got to go backwards and mirror and 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 you know if you think of it from a skill point of view and a coaching point of view when you're going in for a tackle you watch the hips so you know flip that on its head when we're looking at beating an opponent you need to turn someone's hips so then we we would start and you just do reps of that and we and that's how we create more coaches because then it becomes it just becomes all visual specific cues it's cues that you will look for in a game that need to become instinctive and then we play on it it's like right i need you to turn his hips three times and then go and then get him on the outside and it's the guy um it's the responsibility of the 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 aggressor in that situation to actually coach the defender because if if you do your job right no one gets beat yeah. and and I, I never want to see anyone beat in those drills because if because otherwise someone's not learning yeah and then when you do it 50 percent um you know we were doing it today and as we create awareness we give them that education like one of my guys was um he he was just like he got his feet he got his feet close and he just shouted crossover because he knew he 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 should have crossovered and then we just we just broke it down it was lucky it was only two of them today he was, he was like what should you do what should you have done he said i should have double crossovered because the guy went hard back the other way and pushed him a little bit he should i said you should have double crossovered and squared up and then i would have been back in front of him and it, exactly so he knew and it's just about closing that gap so does that hopefully that answers a framework for a week? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Very, very good. Yeah, excellent. And uh, just one thing I want to pick up on there is you said that you wouldn't do anything competitive there, so you wouldn't have them in races or whatever. Why is that? Um, because in a, in the early days, and you may need to earn the right to race. Because if you think about it, when because otherwise all all you're doing is creating um, more cognitive arousal, which which then stops learning. Um, there's there's many a time and place for 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 that and and that's in we use the training of the game to help that because that's where the competition really is you don't need to race your mate um and what you need to do is start um learn if i have a coach if i have an athlete that then come becomes conscious competent so you've got unconscious incompetent uh, conscious incompetent conscious competent right 
That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, when we get them to that point, then they can race because yeah. they respect what the race gives them. And and we and I rarely race. I chase. Yeah. Because when <clears throat> what chasing gives you is it creates even more anxiety. But then it also what it does is it allows, um, you know, it, you do five meters. You do a five meter staggered chase for for over twenty meters. The fastest guys at the back, uh, and the, and then you get the slowest guy at the front, and and then you everyone still has a reward bias because if you've done your spacing right, no one loses. Yeah, and it gives them a target to work towards as well, doesn't it? So the, the, yeah, some some of the really quick guys could just tag someone in the first two meters and then give up. Because yeah. if you if you do if you get that correct, so that that's quite interesting as well because that's something I do um, with a lot of the athletes I work with is we'll work on one aspect. So yeah. say we'll be working on um, keeping the feet low in, in acceleration, and then yeah. I'll get them to do a race in like the first session. Yeah. Say, right, what happened to your footwork? Like, oh, it went out yeah. the window. It's like right, so you need a bit of time and space to work on this and work on it and work on it and, and yeah. try and get that into that unconscious competence mm. sort of area. Yeah. So, so that it just happens. And I, the other thing I, I think that um, is, a, is a good point is that, you know, you're talking about working on that, having a very consistent format over three to four weeks. Because yeah. I think there's a couple of things in there. I think we can be too quick to move on a lot of the time. So these things yeah. need time to develop. Yeah. If if um if players turn up to a session, they know what the format is. If they're a little bit late, they can just they know. Okay. Yeah. The first thing we were going to do was was wall drills. Everyone else is now um, doing some skips. They can just get in and do their wall drills and then move through yeah. through that. Um. And I, I think these things take time to develop from a physical point of view. So you know, yeah. don't try and rush it on. And exactly what you said is that it needs to look good before you can sort of move it on a little bit yeah so, and and oh god so yeah so like in terms of the sprint modeling stuff like end stage is that i'll get guys taking and passing balls at full tilt you know and we start three meter pass four meter pass five meter pass spin pass so we do build it back into the game but they have to be they have to be aware enough and and that's where um that learning process is when i came up with the concept of speedgate golf so the thing that we want the most is sprint times but the thing we need to stay away from the most is the speed gates because everyone turns into five-year-olds when the speed gates come out and so we created i created this kind of like stress inoculation formula which um to put it so i'm actually writing a book on it at the moment um and it to put it simply if you've got a phobia that creates a, a, a disruptive level of anxiety and arousal take a spider for instance you would see a, a, a cognitive behavior therapist psychologist or whatever and they'd probably write an s on a piece of paper uh, and then they'd write spider and then they'd draw a spider and then they'll put a spider in the in a in a box on the table and then let the spider run around and then you eventually hold the spider you decondition yourself to what it gives you and and so to the point uh, and and what that allowed me to do with all my athletes is is we were celebrating running 10 meters in two seconds and for for anyone who doesn't know that's really slow um especially for a professional athlete but we were celebrating it because they had the respective um and and we were respecting the learning process um, and so they would get, um, but at that point, and it becomes extensive sprinting. 
and and this is the gap between the gym and the field is there's this huge huge chunk of change in the middle where um where the jumps go where extensive sprinting goes which is it's it's then it's kind of like we were say the strongest guy in the gym but he can't sprint fast it's because he, he can't load optimally he can't express force optimally so instead of doing you know you may do three 20 meter sprint or something at the end these guys were getting um upwards of nine ten good quality timed sprint reps trying to chase two seconds and they were getting this so it's like 70 percent sprinting and accelerating and then over six weeks I, I had how many guys did i have i had about 18 guys and it was about 95% lifetime best inside six weeks. And so they explain, was, explain that then to speak of. So go back and explain that for me. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so basically what you do, is, it, it, that came out of, uh, it came out of, uh, I was put in charge of uh, running the speed program. And I was like, well, what's the most important metric to, to, to understand in, in rugby that other than pass tackles and the scoreboard? And so it's sprinting. So, so I was, okay, so what problem have I got here? I've got a load of athletes that aren't used to using speed gates. We've got GPS, but GPS is often used against them. You're not run, uh, run enough. Um, so, right, we had to create a complete psychological shift where with the GPS, we celebrated speed all the time. You reported on your percentage of max velocity and the max velocity you achieved and the, the progress that you've made. So we created a massive reward feedback loop. Uh, we changed what it gave us, and then so I needed to get the speed gate goal, uh, speed, the speed gates out <laughs> regularly, and so I had to break down this stigma uh, of because usually you'd get the gates out at the beginning of preseason, get them out at the end, and then they wouldn't see them for the whole year, just collecting dust, and that wasn't my that wasn't my style. That's not what I needed because I respected what the players need to get better we need to hold ourselves accountable to sprint times and i needed myself as a coach to prove my um a little bit to myself that i know what i'm doing <clears throat> i needed them out as much as possible and and because it just gave me information uh, on what to change um so so how we did it is i was like right i've got to make this a game i have to make this a game because it it it, it it, that will be easy uh, and it, and then there's no lecture there's no autocratic coaching style it becomes very formal so what i did <clears throat> is i took this took the gates out i only had two and this is the thing you know for the part-time uh, players listening or coaches in a professional setup i i i fought for two 30 minute speed sessions a week in a professional environment so the the excuse of we don't have enough time is quite redundant here if you do two 15 minutes a week you've you've got half of what i had <laughs> and so um and so so what i did is the first session we were out we we had the metronome out so we use a metronome to work on marching and skipping and see if people can find rhythm um and then i just put the gates on the side of the pitch in the bag and then the, the they would oh the gates will be sprinting no 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 I just needed them out just just to see, and then the second session came up we I got my uh, one of the interns I hate the word intern assistant um, to just set them up while the session was going on, and uh, are we are we going to run through them no no just seeing if the batteries work, and and then that and then so it, then we set them up 
10 meters apart the second the next session so okay so we need to test if, if it's working properly so just jog through it for me please and so then all of a sudden they start getting deconditioned to to what it is and then they start hearing the beeps beep 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 so then it completely normalizes uh, and then and then you always get one one gobshite that will sprint through it yeah right just out of nowhere and then there's your opportunity and 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 that at that point you just come here why'd you do that do you do you want to use speed gates yes coach yes coach yeah okay so don't ever do that again please because otherwise they'll get taken away and it won't be me taking them away it'll be the physio when you've hurt your hamstring complete uh consequence response to to their behavior and so um so then it was okay so now they're out 10 meters getting the guys just jogging through them it's like right who can who can sprint 10 meters in two seconds they're like what i was like well you want to run fast show me you can run slow and, and then they're like ah okay and so then you completely shift the emphasis on actually trying to run hard you run relaxed and then you get this you create this whole coaching process where and and this is you know like the hive switch you know, when um, you know, soldiers march in unison because it, it just brings everyone with them. They'll find the rhythm. It's like I watched my mum and dad when we were out walking over Christmas across the road. And then within about four paces, they were both walking off the same leg. And I was like, that's that's unbelievable. Um, at that point, I knew I should have probably started drinking because I was thinking about coaching. But the <laughs> the um, the. Uh, <laughs> but the principle is there and then when the guys start running through they're like what time is it what time is it and it's like a two one two uh, and then all of a sudden your your sensory starts picking up on what two seconds should sound like and then and then they pick it up and then all of a sudden you will get one you get one that will run a two oh and then probably in the next seven or eight reps, you'll get another four that are two zero, and then someone will smash two seconds dead, and the whole place just goes ballistic. And you're just like, how are they celebrating running slow? And it's like because they get that what they're doing. And as you go through it, you coach the process. Okay, so that was that was one nine, but what was his shape like? Did he get his body forward? Was he smooth on the ground, or was he chasing his feet? Like how efficient was it? So then you start asking detail in all these questions. And then before you know it, they all look the same. Yeah. They're just like, boom, 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 boom. And then you'll get about six of them do two seconds. All, excuse me, all in the space of about half an hour. And it's just like, and then when I, when I did it, I was like, this is bloody, I've stumbled across something. I started doing my research and there's about 20 to 15 different psychological constructs all interplayed not to mention the training loads that's why i've got i'm writing a book on it because yeah, um, yeah. i have to um it'd be my my memoir my jerry Maguire moment <laughs> and uh i've had a few of them yeah <laughs> and uh and so there's there's one that can't be published and so there's uh you tell me so, about <laughs> yeah so um so <laughs> so um so then you then just start doing a logical process. Like people think training is really difficult. It's really simple. You know, so we go from two seconds. If you've got most of your group running two, sweet, one nine, one eight, one seven. So you start getting into that one six region, you know, boys are running as fast as they've ever run in their life and they're trying 50% less. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, right, put the hammer down. 
you get one boy dropped to 151 you know and and it's just you're like where the hell did that come from like i had props and this is what i love now i love it when i get a big heavy guy because i you know they say props don't need speed yes they do because how do you win a collision in a scrum speed speed and if you can teach your body just to be fast you'll be fast and so you know i had i had props running in the one sixes low one sevens i got one of my guys he's a hundred and 118 kilos uh loose head 510 um broke nine meters per second as fast as your average winger you know uh, and uh he doesn't lose a collision <laughs> yeah you know? and so so that's how that that game and that construct started building out and then i started expanding it to to um running longer distance and faster distances but then we also started to interplay and bring in rugby into it so we would set one gate up so we would do um like a a fast 2v1 because coaches um coaches want like people to be able to play on the line but there's too much pressure when there's a defender in front of you but why don't we use pressure as a speed time so we create that speed time and then also you create harmony because obviously you're only as good as your outside man or your inside support line they need to gauge and gauge distance so the fastest people understand time and space the best so so when we're looking at that we we used to um it would just be a simple 2v1 with an outside feed but the 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 first player would have three meters into the gate and then the second player would have three meters behind so it's about can we nail execution bang on and achieve a fast result and then we ended up extrapolating that out to max velocity passing the ball in fours over 20 meters and and we were getting like one nines and and like stupid times and the the ball was just zipping down the line because it it created this this ability and then lo and behold if you, you put them on a uh like a um you know like a simple drill where where you play to a flat forward defense off your back foot and you just have to go and they just like the, the the passing and the speed is just like zip 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 boom on the end and so it, it kind of that's me you know trying to bring relevance to speed back into rugby and creating reward and and consequence and 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 also just having the ability and the best thing is when the, when you're playing those speed gate golf games is when you're playing flat on the line and someone throws a dummy <laughs> yeah. they just they just bliss straight through because they're flat on the line they've used their change of direction but they don't um they don't win the time but they've solved a different problem yeah you've allowed them to achieve a different set of skills but then obviously you know when you get behind the line you have to play to width <laughs> so pass the fucking ball <laughs> yeah get out yeah that's really interesting because obviously from a skill skill act perspective so you talk about knowledge of performance which would be coaching you're telling them what they've done but knowledge of uh so i said knowledge of performance yeah is what is, is the coaching that's giving them feedback about what they've done but knowledge of results is really powerful and they've done various studies with with uh, lots of throwing stuff where they gave feedback to shot putters um from a coach and then uh, the rest of them they just told them how far they threw every time and yeah. the value that the athlete, athlete takes from that, because a lot of times when we do speed, yeah. there's no objective measure of whether or not they ran fast. So they can feel like they've run really fast, but have a dead yeah. slow time. And yeah. other, but more often than not, it's what you're saying, is that the really fast 
uh, sprints don't feel like you're moving don't feel like you're doing anything and you're trying to encourage them to do that because again if we go back to to skillac it's the degrees of freedom problem is that when you watch people sprint they tighten right up because they're not used to those positions they're not used to those movements Mm. they have to they have to control their degrees of freedom because they, yeah. they, they've got no other way of doing it and they tighten right up. That's a brilliant, brilliant way of introducing knowledge of results, getting them to relax and unfreeze their degrees of freedom so they're starting yeah. to be smoother in their movements. It's a, that's a fantastic way. I really, that really goes, th- Thank you. That goes back, you know, with those degrees of freedom, you make a really good point. And that's why all the specific conditioning is really important because you 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 increase degrees of freedom with specific strength yes so again it, it, it's a feed it's a big cycle the whole yeah. thing it all fits in thing. together yeah they, they they can't get into a position they can't hold because that the muscles yeah. in those in those ranges are, are too mm. weak to do it that's fantastic i think that's, that's really fascinating so what would you say would be some of the big mistakes that people make um in, in and again i would sort of tr- tend more towards the the non-specific coaches so if if a rugby coach is running a session um, yep. themselves and they're, they're, they're trying to get some speed work in what are the sort of mistakes they need to watch out for what, what sorts of things can they get wrong if they're trying to introduce some of this into their coaching yeah so uh, um, obviously the point that we just made um, trying to run fast is the biggest mistake you can make um, because you'll run slow um, trying to run fast too far to you know own your distances shorter the better and and keep quality high um stay away from ladders because they encourage dysfunctional foot patterns and if um uh but if you just need a bit of fun ladders are fantastic why so why would they uh, introduce dysfunctional foot patterns um because it what you're essentially a ladder is a fixed space and if you if you're doing uh drills through uh and if we're thinking of actually developing speed speed comes from maximal acceleration so if you're going to try and do foot drills through a, a a ladder you're actually um detraining the ability to move your body and and that causes a lot of problems um because you you also are, are placing too much resistance in the environment you know we're we're putting one foot in front of the other in an optimal way is a hard hard enough task that you know you don't need some silly yellow ladder on the ground um and so but but this is what people are brought into is the whole saq culture um and and a, and a lot of that is is flawed theory because sprinting comes down to basic newtonian physics can you rule one can you overcome your own body weight rule two can you put speed on it rule three can you be springing off the ground and you don't need any equipment for that and the other thing is obviously it it constrains everyone to a fixed pattern which you know yes. if, you, if you've got someone like tom young's he's not going to yeah. put his feet in the same place that anthony watson is because yeah. of limb length ability to to produce force stride length mm. you know, you're putting people into a fixed box that they they might not naturally his his natural foot position might be right on the rung and he can't step on it because there's a great big yeah rung there <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so so there there's some really um easy and and simple mistakes but really easy to fix 
really easy to fix and that's the best thing about it. that's the beauty of it of it is because um if you've got a simple system in place and a simple um so I, I like to look at it you you need a training strategy underpinned by different systems of development and so if you have that overall strategy which allows you to to be quite fluid in what you're doing you can then pick from your toolbox within your strategies of where they are are they i use a drill stacking system so within uh, talked about at the beginning i've got a sequence of acceleration drills i'll take drill one two and three and we'll start owning one to three then we'll drop one out and it will become a regression problem solver and we'll bring in four so we go two three four and we just scale up the system that way um and that allows uh, a the coach the ability to coach and not think about what he's got to do next but then b also uh, also also uh, <laughs> the, uh also it allows the um it allows the athlete to have consistency and familiarity and and know what's coming next and and so then everyone's free to just be present in in the process so and the other big mistake is just um not giving speed the respect that it deserves and you know two 15 minute blocks a week out of your 90 minute session including a warm-up is going to create so much change and in the amateur rugby clubs and part-time rugby clubs that i work with after the pre-season we had a significant drop in injuries significant um and and that was just you know we the same formula that we used extensive plyometrics consistent warm-up uh learning how to put one foot in front of the other and and it and it yields massive results and you know in the back end of the games you know boys are still sprinting boys look good they feel good they don't get in cramps you know everyone you know you pull a ham hamstring in the 70th minute well, I wonder why. I think if we, everyone's listened to this far, they now know why. You know, so so that's it. And, and just in keeping it simple, keeping it simple, not not trying to add. Yes, keep it relatively short. Keep it simple and do it consistently until they've until they've started to embed those patterns and those movements and develop those tolerances and that that strength. Yeah. I think it's the same rules that they'll apply to. You know, how many coaches will, will do passing in force? up and down up and down they'll do them slow they'll do them fast they'll do them at different distances same logic apply it to running so the other big mistake i'd say um a lot of people make is they tend to particular rugby is like they'll do some sprints like oh, i'll do sprints so you'll, you'll have boys sprint 15 20 meters whatever and then they'll jog back and be, come on quick 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 mm. and you so this is something i've sort of had to get get my head around is trying to keep the other coaches away to stop them getting involved. Yeah. So um, the sort of rule of thumb that I always try and tell everyone that I work with, and I, so I'm just not sure if you'd agree with this, is one of the things I say to them is like, you rest one minute per 10 metres sprinted. So if we yeah. if we sprint 20, 20 metres, we'll rest two minutes. If we sprint 40 metres, mm -hmm. we'll rest four minutes. Is that something that you, yeah. you agree? So, yeah. And what sort of things do you do? to overcome the coach coming over and saying, why don't we just stand around doing nothing and also then being bored? Because if we're doing some 30, 40 minute sprints or you're getting yeah. three, four minutes, what sort of things you, do you, would you be able to, so the whole point of, of having decent rest, quality yeah. rest, is that they're fresh them for each sprint. 
Yes. Would you then start to mix in some of those drills that we were talking about, or would that fatigue them too much? Um, would you do something? Yeah. So I'm. Yeah. Yeah. I. You know, when I get my if if I've got my guys and and they're they're sprinting flat out forties, they don't want to do anything else in their rest periods. They want to rest because they they are expressing a lot of force and power you know and so so that's the task is getting them to that level um and so like early days we you know because i'm in the private setting we do a lot of film review so you know we film the rep we you know excuse me iphone here's the phone tell me what happened good bad ugly you know what what are we doing so we use it as reflective practice uh, more than anything and but then also once you get them and this is the thing if you take them through that process and you start producing results and they feel good they'll do anything you tell them i and, suppose if you, if you have those threes they can be coaching each other and having those conversations exactly. as well yeah exactly and then sometimes like people say oh do we do do we do some hand-eye coordination games or or stuff like that it it, it it, it, what we're trying to do we learn in the catcher we learn in the sprint and and that and then it becomes a priority and if the head coach you know they've asked me like what they're doing i said they're resting when was the last time you sprinted 40 meters <laughs> you know not seeing you catch a bus for a long time <laughs> and so you know and, and, it, and it goes back to that mutual respect as well and you know you never uh, you never overrun the time you've been given, but it's up to you to use how the time you have, yeah. and that's a, that's really important um, for coaches to be confident in in that, and 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 also, you know, um, I would when when you're still learning, it can still be quite extensive. If you're doing like ten meter pushouts, you know, uh, seven step. If you're up to like a seven step drive. That's still only like 70% of your of your effort, even if you're going full tilt. So it becomes, and this is the difference between effort and intensity, whereas acceleration is all effort driven because it's only a percentage of speed at your maximum velocity. So then maximum velocity becomes intensive and that's where you need more rest of intensity but if you're if you're repping early days you, you know say you're doing a seven step drive eight step drive then then you can be you can you can literally go off walk back recoveries because it's and then you've got the strength training benefits you've got the energy system benefits um and and so you've got all those all those sorts of things and it is right rest is pitched at where the level of development is if they and most of the time at the beginning they get mentally tired before they're physically tired and yeah. then they'll need to stop anyway yeah yeah because like we said there's a lot going on there isn't there you know and yeah when they're learning and I, I suppose the other thing that I would encourage coaches to do is to find out why they're doing what they're doing. So the other sort of mistake that I'll see is like they'll be doing an A skip because they've seen mm. people doing A skips and yeah. they'll be just doing a high knees drill. So the point of an A skip yeah. is you're driving that foot really hard down into the ground. And yeah. exactly as you said, opposite in that uh, equal re- reaction to that and you pop off the floor. Yeah. So it, it's, it's well worth coaches find out what they what they should be coaching within those drills yeah. and if they're not sure it's 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 not too bad just to get people running fast and running at different intensities of their speed trying to maintain yeah. those 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 mechanics effectively. yeah and you just want to spend 
uh, as much time as possible away from running top speed because that's when it gets dangerous yeah. because also you think if someone's developing and they're a developing sprinter and they're getting faster with the acceleration you go back to that domino analogy that domino pile is now actually going downhill and they're stacking faster and faster and faster and so it's your due diligence to stay away from top speed when you're developing front end acceleration because the the leg speed um you know if you run 10 meters per second your legs are moving at 20 meters per second that's a lot of force there's a lot of speed and so you run big risks there so that's why you just stay if, if you're seeing um one of the best moments i ever get with coaching and in coaching sprinting especially with the rugby athletes because they're all novice sprinters really um and i love it because um when when we go from their one step push out and they just nail it and they absolutely destroy their second step and it's terrible like i have people fall over you know they, they, their body just doesn't know what to do and they just look up and they're just like oh i get it now yeah and it and it just the penny drops and then it, then it's green lights and they're just attacking 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 we even had it today with the guys we were doing um lateral accelerations and i was like what aren't you doing and what do we do in acceleration it's like we go forward how do we go forward throw our body forward coach okay so what do we do sideways throw it sideways what leg do we need to push off our outside one. Oh, push off the outside leg drops the shin down so you know for we basically want as as close a shin angle to the floor as possible because then the shin is our driver of where we're going to go for the, the coach is listening and so you off your outside leg you push yourself you push your inside leg into that position and then all of a sudden it was like boom and they were just like see ya and they were just, they were just like pig in shit i don't know if i can swear on this but they um because they they solved their own problem yeah, by yeah. using the information I had taught them and they had owned, and it's just yeah, it's just fucking. It's, excuse me, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. I swear all the time, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, I think uh, yeah, that that is a, a a really important point. It goes back to what you were saying about awareness of your body and time and space, and it's something mm. I've sort of noticed with a lot of people now is they've got a real lack of awareness of their body around them and what's moving it's the, the really simple one that happen all the time is get kids to to squeeze their shoulder blades together you know like to yeah dissociate their shoulders from their hips so yeah. is, is to to move your shoulders and not your hips or just move your hips and not your shoulders and and you really see people struggle to do that and so mm. exactly what you're saying is that if they're le learning to throw their body forward it can be something really simple like just getting into a squat position and seeing how far they can sway their body yeah to see yeah. Bef before they fall over and one of the things that I, I really like about all of the things you're talking about is it requires hardly any equipment whatsoever but it produces really covid friendly <laughs> yeah very covid friendly yeah and 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 money friendly and you yeah. know rugby club running on a shoestring type budget friendly but also it can have really big you know doing the wall drills properly where yeah. they're finding their point of tension creating that tension doing holds when they can hold they're developing onto the movements between the, the end position and the start position can create huge amounts of strength relevant to what they're going to need to do yeah. and it can have, yeah. have massive benefits for them so in terms of um 
what that looks like moving more into the the s part so the strength part of of this mm-hmm. where we're going into the gyms and stuff what what sort of things you are you thinking now when you got you got uh, people going into the gym to do some work what what sort of uh, what sort of issues are you thinking about when you're working with people to, um, to, help, to help this speed in in the game yeah yeah and and it comes back down to you know are we building weightlifters or are we building athletes uh, are we building rugby players uh, even more so that's the second question is my athlete a rugby player um and you get a lot of in injury prone people the athletes not, not rugby players they just like playing rugby and so it's it's your responsibility a to make them a bit more robust to the sport um but then also um are is the body in rugby shape and and so i break it down again make it simple keep it easy um i've come up you know i'll use um basic trap bar deadlift um and and it's really you know it's really simple for anyone listening out there you know the furthest away from the season you get you probably want to lift a bit heavier as you get closer to the season you want to lift lighter and faster simple rule of thumb and then during the season and i can talk to you a little about in-season loading in a minute and um because i've got some different takes on on that um but then i will use um a split squat uh, a lot of my guys don't um because essentially all you're trying to do is create spinal stress and and then spinal stress through a specific limb pathway so i would use you know i give my guys the choice you can either quarter squat pin off for for your heavy heavy like big heavy load or you can pick weight up up off the floor with a trap bar and it doesn't even have to be on the floor you could still have high handles on blocks you know i don't care (laughs) basically um because we're just trying to get some stress out of it um and and then my secondary exercise i'd have is my my split squat you know i I like the hand supported variations if someone who can but not a lot of places um it's just you know get strong on one leg in a split stance it's it's powerful you know it's it helps develop the hip robustness um and you know because two things are doing two the legs are doing opposite things and that's what you need um and then you know to to train the hamstrings um i just do a lot of isometric you know, if they don't have a glute ham raid, I would just do um, lying on your back, knees slightly bent, hips up, dig your heels into the floor. Get your hamstrings contracting on both ends at the same time because that's how they work. Um, and then, you know, never neglect the calves. You know, never get strong calves. Um, and that's, that's basically it from a, a real fundamental point of view. And also never forget to train rotation. So in your warm-ups, I used to have like a a, a, um, a sling sling driven preparation to my my training because obviously you know for all your listeners that don't know your right arm your right hand connects to your left foot on the front of your body and on the back of your body your shoulder connects to your hip in diagonal so you just draw diagonals from your major landmarks and, th- and that's basically it and then that's how the the body actually moves. Um, so we would do stuff like, uh, 
single leg squat to row on the opposite side we do a lateral lunge to row we do um, a reverse lunge with a plate twist um, just tuning the body to like to work together and and that you know you do 10 15 minutes of that as like it's part of your warm-up as well and it just gets the body going it, it starts like turning on light bulbs i'm a massive fan of the reformer and with my private guys we use the reformer all the time um so for that people, very reason people wouldn't know what a reformer is um so it's a pilates machine uh, that's got basically as a board that slides it's collected to uh, either springs or elastic bands and you create you do movements on your back and stuff like that and that's all about positive disassociation patterns and and that's fantastic but but then yeah and that would be you know from a lower body point of view if you've done your extensive jumps on the field you don't need to do them in the gym uh, you can't rob peter to pay paul you know it's better to come out of the gym feeling energized as opposed to feeling tired um because it takes a lot more to recover from when you're tired um you know with my top guys and 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 even when i was with the, with the clubs we'd only go really really heavy in pre-season for only for about four reps out of the whole pre-season because we because because we, we respect submaximal you know you know there's loads of research you can get strong with 60 percent and 80 percent of your one rm you know what one are you going to use yeah. <laughs> you know um and then when the time comes you want to see how strong you are that's fine of course you can but just make sure you bet you made a pint over it yeah. <laughs> but i suppose the problem with that would be that uh, you say which one are you going to use uh, i know which one i would use being 40 yeah. years old and having a <laughs> training for quite a while but i also know which one a 22 year old would use so yes yeah definitely how do you, how do you find is that just that de developing that relationship and educating them as you go is that yeah and then and then and then some days you can just use an rpe so you build in your testing into your program and it's not even testing it's just assessing where they are so um i don't i never use one rep maxes we use like five to eight rep maxes um and so, you know, at the beginning, you know, 100 for five. If you've then three weeks later, four weeks later, you can do 110 for five. Awesome. 10% better. Your potential to produce force is better. And, and that's all that you need to look at. I think um, the other thing that's sort of quite important, and the good thing is that nowadays that um, with the advances in technology, a lot of these things are getting uh, getting a lot cheaper so yes. i think speed gates are still quite expensive but yeah. certainly when you go in the gym there are apps now that you can download which will measure the bar speed and yeah. that, goes, that goes into something i think that um can end up being uh earn the right so yes so we might start talking about velocity-based training but i think for the vast majority of people it wouldn't really be massively appropriate however no. if you do have a bar speed tracking device on your phone yeah. one of the things that i was using that for was to to just make them aware of intent and you know yeah. where, where, you know so if if uh, a guy's doing a squat and you can measure the bar speed on it and then you mm. can say to them okay you know you can just give them the meters per second of that yeah. of that of that lift to give them some feedback about the intent they're putting into about mm. how tight they're staying again if, if we talk about knowledge of of results it's giving them a knowledge of what that what that rep felt like in an objective yeah manner so that's yeah. getting that's getting quite prevalent so what um you you said that you've got some slightly different thoughts about in-season loading is that is that 
based towards um, speed more? Or is that just various other factors? What, no, what? yeah, it's gym loading as well. Um, you know, I've had a, I've had great success using what you call rollover programming. So, you know, biology doesn't um, understand twenty four hours. You know, so and there's a there's a there's a it's crazy because there's this there's this immense pressure to do everything in one week. And so it's like, but if you're, if you, you know, if you're redlining, for instance, your body's redlining and trying to get everything in one week, you're not getting better. You're just getting tired and you become, it becomes risky business. And so, so I, I stole this idea from track and field where if you've got a three day rollover program and a lot of more experienced athletes in track and field will use this. And it's funny how time creates efficiency. Time in the gym makes you more efficient. But what we need to be doing is teaching young kids to be efficient. You know, we don't want to burn out their testosterone. We need it, you know. And so, and and that will we'll make professional rugby players playing into their 35, 36, 37, a normal thing. Because then they're actually fully grown men. So, so what I would, what I would do, even if you've got a game on the Saturday, it doesn't matter. You can have, um, basically you, you rep three different workouts. So you may have, if you did full body, for instance, you, um, the only rule is, is that if you train Tuesday and Thursday, so you've got your two workouts in there, you, the only rule is you never do your heavy day two days before the game. All right. That's the only rule. So you can have a strength day, uh, a power day and a speed day for argument's sake. We make it really, really simple. And then so you um, so then you just roll through those workouts. So if you, if you play it out, so you do strength Tuesday, power Thursday, play Saturday, speed Tuesday, power Thursday, play Saturday, strength Monday. And you can see how the system rolls. So you're hitting strength every two weeks, but you're hitting speed and power more. Mm. And so in season, and, and then what you do in season is just is cut everything in half. Because most, you know, a lot of coaches, and, and this is one thing I, I, I always tell myself, I say, remember what it's like when you play 10 games in, in 10 weeks. No matter who you are, you are clucking. That mm. body is creaking. Um uh, and usually that's when the weather starts changing as well. So it's colder. It's it's all these things. So you just cut the volume in half. Um, and and so so I run that rollover principle, um, and it works really nicely. Everyone's fresher. Um, you're training more specifically, and you won't lose strength. And 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 where there's this obsession over strength is a misunderstanding. Is that you don't have to be that strong. You know, you just need to learn how to use it. And the big leveler is like when we put them on the pulleys, like the resisted sleds and the exogenies, you put a strong guy, you go, how much, how much do you think you can move? And they go nowhere, you know, and, uh, and it's because they're not strong in the right positions. Yeah. It's like, right. So when I was in a lot of the pro clubs and, and, uh, and even now, especially when I'm, when I'm out doing my thing, um, with my guys, we use the pulleys and the sleds as our strength loading and our power loading uh, because it's the most specific and, and it works. It works. It's easy. It's really, really easy. And then, so then if you, if you're doing that, then you go, well, what actually do I need out of my gym work? 
Okay, so I need a bit of hip and groin. I've got to take care of my hamstrings and my calves. That's about it. And, and so, so then you just do less. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you can be in the gym for 25 minutes. And that's enough. Because mm. remember when you shift into in-season, number one, you got to win games. And then you've got to be fit enough and fresh enough to win the next game. You know, and and that's all that matters and, and then you do the same thing in in terms of like uh, intensity measuring and markering you just use a really simple traffic light system especially when we when we start considering on field work so when you're green um but i use blue amber green so when you're green it's game pace it's full full tilt you know um i don't believe in doing contact in training uh, but i'm a winger so why would i but <laughs> Uh, it's all about managing risk. The same, you know, um, look at all the best wrestlers and fighters and and all those sorts of and 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 even um, uh, pianists. You make the best music slow, yeah. you know, and and so repping contact in those um, situations slow and controlled. It's all technical development. Um, and then you've got amber, which is kind of like rehearsed learning. So it's your starter place, for instance. So we, we're going to play three phases here. That's your amber work because it's not quite game pace. There's lots of cognitive load. Um, and then your blue is your static cognitive frontal brain stuff, all your skills. So then you can start creating this really simple system. It's like, right, okay, so and then you just look at what minutes you're doing at those different intensities. And as, you know, lo and behold, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to, to realize that most people play a game on a Thursday night training. You know, um, use my experience of a winger, I'd probably chase more kicks than I would do in 10 games, you know, because the fly ass trying to find touch. I just got to get the ball back. And so the um, so then you start looking at your minutes and then and then all, all you need to do is the more games go on. You just need to create a reduction in minutes in green time. A little bit more in rehearse learning and then and a little bit more in blue. So you, it's it's about just managing intensity. And, it, and 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 the thing is as well like why i say to to coaches there's nothing you can do when the whistle goes you've either done your job or you haven't and and so um when you're coaching them you need to make sure you're coaching them you need to make sure that they're learning you're empowering them you're actually a teacher uh, and 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 then the game is just a test to see if they can execute um and the, the other thing with technical coaching this is why it's about having a overriding strategy underpinned by systems the overriding strategy is the identity of a team and they have different subsystems of set plays and stuff like that but what you find is coaches get boiled down into they have a set system for every scenario but what happens um if there's someone down injured in the backfield what happens and that's what we talk about and i relate this back to because I'm, I'm i'm a level two qualified rugby coach i have no <laughs> but um this is what i talk about with sprinting and we teach athletes how to move and then it's up to them to 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 figure it out they've got to figure it out when they're in the game because if we can teach them time and space and and, and recognize key visual cues in front of them then they can pick the right tool 
I think that's exactly the same as um, executing a 2v1 or recognising where the space is in, in the field. Coaching is coaching. Just replace the the the, the stimulus. Yeah, you you can't expect them to do something they've never practiced before. There's very they always you, yeah. they always use the exception to prove the rule on that is they'll wheel out some unbelievable once in a lifetime rugby player. But in general, for most people, like if they can't hit those positions, you know they haven't trained the tolerance to be there. They don't know what it feels like to accelerate properly. You can't yeah. expect them to do it in the middle of a game. And but but if you do spend some time being consistent with developing those uh, capacities and spending time in those positions and making it automatic and getting mm. that, un- that unconscious competence, then then you can start to see that happen through into the game. So I think, yeah, that's that's a really, really interesting um, sort of look at speed. Is there anything else that you you feel like is important for, for coaches to think about as, as regards speed? No, I think there's... There's, there's a there's a there's a quite a bit there there's a, yeah. there's a good there's a good framework for people to start going to implement and that's that's what you want to do right you just want to give people the opportunity to and have the confidence to go to listen to hopefully listen to this show and go do you know what i'm going to start i'm going to start repping this out and see what happens yeah because we both know don't tell anyone else it's just one big guess yeah yeah and I think the other thing is just to get in and have a go is like, yeah, I think uh, like particularly with some of the younger ones that I coach is like, I just get them just to run because there's yeah. not much, not much time that they get just to run and think yeah. about what their arms are doing Yeah, to the exclusion of all else. It's like, look, these are the positions I want your arms to be in. And this is what I want them to do. Just practice that. And you're just going to run and run and run and with lots of recovery and give them good quality at that. And not really giving them too much right. technical instruction, sort of sitting back and letting it sort of develop. It's like, yeah, well, it's going to maybe take them four weeks, five weeks, six months to start yeah. to get used to this. But if we can hammer that into them at a young age, you know, they're just going to take that through with them as they grow and just keep sort of reinforcing it. Exactly. But, yeah, so then the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, I think that, is, that was a really good deep dive into, into speed. And I think that would be really useful. It's just around, it's around coaching. I think you're a very interesting character from the perspective of what you're doing now, and what you've sort of the, the experiences you've had working in pro sport. I think, you know, a lot of young coaches or I don't necessarily mean that they're young in age, you know, yeah. like they're sort of novice coaches. Like when you first start coaching, you're like looking at pro sport and thinking, oh my God, that's where, that's where everyone wants to be. That's why everyone gets into it. And you've sort of been yeah. there. You pretty much started off there, didn't you? You know, cause like you, yeah. said, you started off at Wasps. And you've moved away from that now and you're doing your own thing. You're a consultant. So there's, there's lots of things I want to ask you. But first up is that how do you find being a freelance consultant outside the system now com- when compared to being inside a club, you know, with the, with the various structures and, you know, the positives and negatives that go with being in a club? How, you find, how long have you been an uh, independent consultant now? Two and a half years. Okay. And how, yeah. how you find it? What was it like when you first came out of the warm, cosy comfort of a, <laughs> of a sport, yeah. sports club system? Because you'd always worked um, in a sports club. Yeah. So I was lucky that I'd always, from, I never stopped having my business. So it was just on the back burner. Um, and 
uh, fortunate like my parents instilled a good work ethic in me and and it was you know um you you want to build something you know because uh, and have an identity have uh, do something so but i remember there was a moment where it was like oh fucking hell this is really happening now and um uh, you know and it was it was tough um uh, tough leaving my last role um uh, and, and getting uh, getting asked to leave uh, because um you know uh, trying the best way to say it i yeah like i said player welfare issues um i was worked so hard i got norovirus in my last role so that gives people the understanding of the workload um that can that can happen and um and then when i was off uh, lazy coaching uh put two injured players at risk and then that was me gone um because i asked a question and so so from then on um it's been it's been really interesting and 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 i just you know i talk to my coaches about anything you do if you want to do it do it be bold be brave what you can offer is what you can offer and what will gravitate towards you will and you just have to trust it and, and so so I, I then i just started investing in coaches and stuff like that having my like a business mentor um i have my own uh, therapist i see twice a week because when you're on your own there's, there's no one to fucking talk to yeah. so might as well pay someone to um and and it helps you organize your thoughts so it's about building that support network around you um but honestly you know i think we just said off air um you know i feel so lucky to be in the position i am now um you know when i was working for clubs i was only working for clubs now i'm working for representatives uh, and working with representatives across 10 different organizations and and you know my speed group that i've created i've got players that play against each other come in to train with each other in the same league you know i'm so fortunate i have a guy that drives down from doncaster to work with me in london once a week you know um and 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 all of the from my career uh, you know resigning from uh from wasps um i i realized that my values and beliefs were not being met in those places and i um you know i uh i overturned a a very uh, at the time was a very controversial yellow card uh and i disproved it using gps it's the first time it was ever done in the history of sport and um physicists from universities across the country wouldn't go near it they wouldn't challenge it and it, it held up we overturned the ban and um didn't even get a thank you um and so this is what it that's what it become that's what the system's like that's what the beast is like uh, the owner of the club called me up on a saturday i didn't have a car he's like right I'll, I'll pay for you to oh you need to okay all right cool and then my name didn't even get put in the report so that gives people kind of like the insight but then you also you, you get to have a lot of fun 
you do get to have a lot of fun. You end up drinking about six coffees a day, but you end up having a lot of fun and, and you're just, you're in this environment that's, that, you know, it's really schizophrenic as well because the whole heartbeat of the teams, if you win, it's amazing. If you lose, it's terrible. And and you're like up and down and up and down and you know I used to never go into rugby meetings because there's none of my business. So because I needed to keep myself as a a representative of good coaching practice to the players, not influenced by what the head coach would say. Yeah. So my mood was always level, um, and and so. So do, but doing it now, you know, I don't have to earn um, the trust and respect of the people that I work with because they want to work with me, you know, and 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 that's what I'm incredibly lucky in. I think it's going to be a big growth area, isn't it? Because mm. I think uh, it's not just coaches leaving pro sport, but as coaches leaving national governing bodies, you know, the RFU. Yeah got rid of a huge portion of their community coaching system um people coming out of various different institutions the world got very institutionalized and now it's decentralizing out again a lot yeah. of coaches are breaking out on their own and That's, coaches coming up that have never been in yeah. pro sport coaching athletes i think it's fantastic and there's there's a huge untapped pool of people that want to work with someone such as yourself yeah but otherwise wouldn't have any opportunity. You know, if they weren't quite good enough to be playing pro sport, semi-pro sport, it's very difficult for them to access that level of quality coaching. But yeah. as people start to leave the system, there's a lot of people now that are setting up their own consultancies and exactly what you're doing. So what, what was that? sort? Of, so you always had the business running while you yeah. were working there. What was the sort of process once you, once you decided to leave? It's quite interesting. I'll sort of come back to this, but it's quite interesting the number of people that I know that have left on a moral decision. You know, they're like, I'm yeah. not happy with what's happening here. It's not good for me. It's not good for the people I'm working with. And I'm going to go. It's, it's, it's never, or very rarely has it ever been something financial or this, that, or the other. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. They've actually dumped themselves into a bit of a scary position to go out and go on their own because because of that. But but anyway, yeah. uh, but go back to what I said originally is um, what 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 were your first sort of steps once you once you started to set up your business so you got that network around you was that the first thing you started to do was to try and build some support for yourself yeah well i took my i gave myself a break um uh i got paid out so i could i was you know they paid me to leave <laughs> you know they gave me a pat paid to leave so i know yeah. it's, it's got to... <laughs> Pat on the back on the way out. And, I, you know, I've got no problem telling anyone about that sort of stuff because I'm not embarrassed by it. It's just it is what it is, isn't it? And um, um, and and so it was it was then. Yeah. So I went to America for a little bit. I had about two weeks out in America. I was meant to come home after 10 days. And then um, me and my assistant decided in, in a bar one night to then book flights to Florida and we and so it was like we ended up in florida for a longer weekend it was, it was brilliant we just had that you know and and it was just one of those moments and so then i came back and i i, I hired um i hired a, a business mentor 
um, because I believe so powerfully in coaches. Um, uh, I've all I've had a therapist now for about five years. Anyway, I had some stuff go on in my in my life, um, and and I I decided you know you can't solve it yourself. Outsource, hire someone that can. You know you want the best food, get the best chef, and and you know as a big proponent of physical health. I'm damn sure I'm never going to be a hypocrite and not take care of my own mental health. And um, and so because that's what my business relies on. It relies on me. Yeah, and yeah. so so then I started. Um, it was funny. That was the October. And then the, I got the phone call to work with Alex Gray, who's coming back for the Atlanta Falcons in the January. And so so that that ended up being a, a 15 hour a week commitment uh, for just over three and a bit months. So that was that was lovely, and then so in the same time, um, I was was building out the infrastructure for a lot of online coaching for athletes, and um, I was I did a lot of uh, coach education at that point, which which ended up, which now is my mentorship program, um, and and then it was it was a case of I can get up at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, um, and and after I left my job for the three days afterwards i slept like 14 hours a night because i was exhausted and this is this is a thing like in pro sport you get 20 minutes to eat your lunch and that's it and then you're buzzing around and it, it's tiring um and also i remember one one thing that uh, dan faff said to me a famous coach when i was out in altis uh when it was actually just started world athletic center um he was like uh, the amount of divorced or single and unhappy coaches working in a job they've always aspired to give them a happy life is frightening because they're all fucking miserable and I was like I'm never going to be that person mm-hmm. um, and so I always knew my time and, and days were numbered in the game on, on those sorts of terms and I was okay with it um, it, it, it stings when when it when it get when it's not your choice uh but however it, you know it was the it's the best thing that's ever happened to me um and uh, and it it's so so now it's about having um the the ability to uh just to really help people you know my nine-year-olds i fucking love them you know the academy yeah. kids they're amazing yeah. and and from that I've, I've i've got an assistant i've managed to create jobs for friends you know helping me write education manuals and um uh, and just get out and and start helping people and because that's the big thing and and when, what we're trying to do you know is the ego um you know, working for Wasp was my, I always wanted to play for Wasp. It was my dream job, and I had to I had to leave because I was miserable. I hated it, um, and and so that was a huge realization. I held the badge in such high regard, whereas when I went to Ealing, we built the badge up, and it got and then it got like I I I forged a lot more of my reputation and my time there um, than I had done previously, um. And so then it got taken away from me. Like that badge had a lot more meaning because of the work that I had done. Like I presented at Catapult GPS conference in front of all the clubs in the Premiership and all sorts. Um, and so then it was like, right. So what do I want my badge to stand for? And and now we're doing it. It's helping people. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. 
if you've got three arms and five legs, we'll get you moving. And and that's and that's the goal, you know. Um, and and that's kind of where where everything's taken because from being inside the industry, you know how like there's a lot of problems. It's cutthroat. The, and and the thing is, I was talking to someone about it the other day. It's fine if the, if an industry is cutthroat. It just can't be disingenuous. And unfortunately, a lot of people making the decisions are disingenuous. And so that causes resentment and animosity, obviously. So so now it's it's kind of you're in this position where I'm in complete control of my future. And and I've got my vision. I, I know where I want to go, uh, uh, you know, and, and I cannot I cannot influence the industry by being a part of it. I have to be separate to it. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I think uh, the, the pro clubs and that, that scenario, the way a lot of it works is pretty astonishing because I always say they wouldn't get away with any of that in any uh, sport seems to have a very strange wild west. Yeah. And just by being sport, things are allowed to happen in, in that in industry that wouldn't be yeah. allowed to happen in other places. And oh God. I always find that very odd. And, you know, people end up managers based on how well they could throw a ball or yeah. kick a ball yeah. and not having had any management experience. And so, a lot, you know, as I said, people will sit on the outside and look at that industry and think, oh, yeah, I'd, you know, I love the badge, would love to work yeah. for that club. And then lots and lots of people get very sorely disappointed when they start working there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sort of practices that go on yeah so, and it and you take this other point i was programming for george smith world player of the year australian legend wasn't even making 20 grand a year yeah yeah and that's yeah. the other side you know are you going to live in london on less than 20 grand a year Do you know what i mean yeah um, and so it's kind of that whole um because it's glorified labor's cheap because people want to be there and and that's a big mission of mine is to kind of like empower coaches to to say no i'm i'm worth more than that my time my peace of mind my value my family is worth more than that um and um and that's yeah that's hugely important because that's how everyone grows yeah yeah and it's it's funny isn't it because i think because of that cutthroat and the low money and everything. So many coaches have all got side projects from necessity because yeah. they ain't paid enough. They have to have other things going on. And eventually a lot of them says, oh, hang on a minute, this has actually got some legs and I'm enjoying this. this yeah. is, and then they hear from other coaches that have sort of gone off and done their own thing. So how, yeah. how has it been for you through lockdown? Because that's a, a sort of potentially a huge spanner in the works or or not? Yeah. Uh, how does yeah. that, how's it's that been, been for you? good bad indifferent you know um originally we weren't going to do excuse me we weren't going to do a um program um but then there's a couple of reasons a i started watching social media and seeing what was being put out for for workouts for just general populations to do and athletes you know i said people um and because the fundamental principles apply to everyone you know everyone should train like an athlete because they're 
they're the ones that don't get hurt when they fall over basically so um the so then we launched the bodyweight athlete because my assistant lost his other job so this is what it brings me such joy like i had a lot of savings and stuff anyway so it was okay but i was able to we we worked together on a project um and was able for him to feed himself you know and and so um and that because our academy shut down which he runs and he was losing we're losing money there it's like right so what tap do we need to turn on to keep money coming in you need to you need to eat (laughs) <laughs> let alone everything else right so then we we created this big value exchange like and this is what's it's what i love about this sort of stuff is like you know i was in a position where i was able to create um financial uh, benefit but um we helped uh the 300 people bought the program um and there was at the time england internationals bought it and and part-time guys bought it you know guys in level eight were doing the same training as england internationals and i thought it's brilliant loved it and but then i was also help over 300 people as he was able to feed my friend and pay his rent for it you know and and so that was that was wonderful and you can't do that in any other thing it's it, it's what's your higher meaning you know if you, you're a, i can help my friend put feet and this it just rings really true to my own values i allowed someone to eat you know it's it's really important to me and um so so that was like a raging success and 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 it and it just sort of showed like what was needed and then i'd had my mentorship program before like running behind the scenes because it's a bit taboo it's a bit like mentors i don't need a mentor because the ego of the snc coach is, is quite high um and from a just a pure protective nature and um so i launched it publicly um and because i had a bit more time and i knew the coaches had more time and there's nothing worse than a coach with time and no direction and and so so i launched the the program publicly and got over 200 applications um um for 12 spots (laughs) so um and and that's been going for the last we're week nine um of the current cohort and 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 that brings me so much joy as well seeing the personal growth of these guys is 50 percent um personal development and then 50 percent snc coach theoretical um and so so we get this create this whole new balance of meaning for these coaches and we um and obviously for because exclusive mentorship program there it's it's we charge what it's worth and so that that's nice (laughs) and um and so we um and so in that time you know we have we've had to understand that because because i work with elite athletes they've always been allowed to coach so that's not affected me all my guys that are part-time i can't coach which is which it sucks so we created solutions for them i launched a, a speed development app for my guys and so they've got that um and and then yeah but the the, the mentorship stuff is taking the big bulk at the moment um and and it's just a wonderful journey um you know a couple of fantastic stories um in the first lockdown we we do like uh lots of stuff about self-worth and emotional check-in how like like you know that question is like 
Or do you actually fucking give a shit about yourself? If you say yes, then then show me. And and one of the lads, his, his girlfriend was Spanish, and um, it was a, her. There was a special anniversary in the family, and she was stuck in Devon, and he's based down in Exeter. And he just called me up. He said, "Sam, I'm not going to be on the call this Wednesday." It's like why? And I said, "I thought about what it means to me, and I'm driving my girlfriend home. Drove all the way to fucking South Spain to take her." to be at that event that meant a lot to her family. Yeah. And I was just like, I got goosebumps. I was nearly in tears. Cause it's just like, you see value in other things, which is, which is, I don't know. People may not get that, but it's, it, we get so bogged down into something, so obsessed with something. And from my experience, you know, sport moves fast. You know, you get told to leave, you're not allowed back. Yeah, and then in two weeks down the line no one's talking to you that you used to talk to every day and then all you've got is your girlfriend that you've pissed off so many times because all you do is talk about work and and the friends that you've not gone on stag do's and you lose all the things that really matter to you um no i actually lost a girlfriend over coaching in professional sport because i didn't give her the time care and attention she deserved it's a simple flaw you know um so so like with this program i get to speak to them once a week for an hour they're in groups and um and and i've got two other like i do some individual stuff as well and um another story one of the guys who works at a professional football academy um they offered him a promotion he turned it down oh really yeah and he, and he said um and i was so proud of him because he was just like well a it's going to take more time b it's going to be more work c you're not paying me enough more and that takes time away from my wife and kid and that's not worth it and i was just like come on give him the pay rise yeah and and it's brave (laughs) isn't it to to say that say because you know if you don't do the right things and don't pay pay your game in the system they can easily get rid of you and then and now he's like and and on, on there's two sides like because obviously the, the personal development stuff gives me such energy because you're empowering them they're, they're doing self-reflection you know we, we start the calls with you know what happened this week how did it like what happened this week how did it affect you um what did you do about it and how do you feel about it now so it's a full circle of of, of emotional management is they're bringing this stuff up on on these calls and they're just open they've never met each other before but they're just you know they're hearing all these stories and and they're coaching each other and and creating better lives for themselves as well and then on the other side with the snc stuff with the content i've produced for them this same guy that got offered the promotion is um has now uh, developed the whole academy um speed uh program for a premier league football team based off the work and the ideas that we've shared is using the speedgate golf stuff um and and they're just getting pbs across the board all the time and and you're just you're just creating this environment that would definitely be looked down upon if i was still inside the system a hundred percent and and i've i've got 20 20 guys i've got one girl ruth she's bloody amazing um she was so empowered she quit her bloody job and, and and she went out on her own and she's smashing it and um and so 
<laughs> like when she did that, my heart sank. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, a bit of more you can chew here, Sportland. But, um, you know, and you've got your, you're creating real positive shifts with these people. And, you know, and they're, they know that it's not the be all and end all not to work in professional sport. Um, and, but what they're doing is they're becoming professional coaches. You know, you want, you know, I, I believe everyone's got the ability to be world class in some shape or form. You just need to find it. And that's coaches and athletes. And that's something that's just resonated with me more and more and more. And, you know, and these these massive shifts that these people make is just it, it, it's, it's wonderful. I'm so proud of all of them. So it's just like it's, it's such an enriching time. I've spoke about it for 10 minutes now, but you can yeah. tell how much I enjoy it. Yeah, well, that, that, that's what I'm interested in is what what sparks people you know what, what sparks their passion and what lights their fire because that's when you get the interesting stuff so i think uh, one of the really interesting things from there is that a you've got your own personal therapist and i think that's really yeah. important because i think it's really important to have an objective look in you know yeah. someone who's not influenced by what else is going on in the, the club or your family or whatever it's to someone to talk to and because also from your perspective is like exactly what you said is like more and more people spending time on their own, mm-hmm. more and more people will start now to work on their own. And if yep. you, you are your business, yep. if you're not firing at hundred percent, you're not delivering what you need to do. So I think that's, that's a really key point for people yeah. to, to do. And the other thing I like about the mentorship is again, is sharing experiences and information and stories and all the rest of it with people who necessarily aren't part of that bubble because I think like you say when you're working professional sport you just it's funny we talk about bubbles all the time now with with yeah. COVID, but but you are in like that little club bubble and it's you against the world certainly against all yeah. the other teams and you know there can be um internal politics and that kind of thing so if you can get if you can break out of that and get other voices other sports and then I think from your perspective now the one thing I found working for myself is that the range of people you work with is so much more interesting rather than just working with the same people. Oh, it's unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So now, like you, you're saying you've been working with athletes that are playing in the NFL. Um, obviously, you've got rugby, you've got youth, you've got a, a huge variety. How, yeah. how, how did you find that coming out of a very rugby-centric person mm. yourself and, yeah. and coaching all of your professional uh, coaching in in rugby, then coming out on your own, and then starting to have to deal with a broad range of different athletes. How was that? Um, I'm a people first person, so it was quite easy, um, to be honest. Um, and and I'll you know you take an objective view of the of the athlete in front of you. And I remember when I sat down with Alex for the first time. I've never met him before. He was like, "What type of program am I going to do?" So I don't know. You're probably going to write it. He was like, what? I was like, oh, well, how you adjust to the training is what's going to write the program. And he was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then three weeks later, we're having conversations about the next phase of training. Like, what do you feel we need? And and so you, when you and, and that's been the, the thing with me. If you talk to someone on a human level, it doesn't matter if they're bloody smart as anything or, or dull as dishwater. If you, if you just talk to them as a human being, you're absolutely fine. It's when you start to try and exert power or authority over them when you don't need to. It's like power comes through humility. And so I've had success um, with, a, with a lot of um, my, my coaching athletes, I think purely based on the fact that I tell them I care about them. Yeah. 
I think that that and that's it, it does really change the relationship, doesn't it? Where if if an athlete is part of a club and the club is paying his wages, mm-hmm. and you're you're the coach there, and certainly the hierarchy of coaches from head coach yeah. all the way down to assistant S and C, dif- different people can exert different influence on the athlete. However, yeah. if they're, if they're paying you to yeah. train with them, it changes the relationship a lot. Yeah, make makes it more clear that you're there to help mm-hmm. them than it is necessarily yeah. the other way when you're in the club. And a big psyche I had all the time when I was in pro um, pro clubs is that um, the athletes uh, treat them like they were paying you. Yeah, yeah. So I used to always say to the uh, assistants, treat them like they treat them like they're paying you, because at the end of the day, your job doesn't exist without them. Yeah. And and at one, at one when I was at Wasps, there was a certain player, and um, we we were rehabbing and stuff, and he. Um, he asked me to come and personal train his girlfriend after work and and i met his new daughter you know he gave me a signed shirt um uh, and and that's what people first gets you it gets your friends yeah it's your strong relationships it gets your integrity you know and and that's what i love about it the most um i i'll always coach in some shape or form um whether that just goes into you know full-time mentoring and less athletes doesn't bother me because it's just about shifting the needle and your time time's up when your time's up isn't it it's about creating change i think i think the interesting thing is that uh when you go out on your own one of the things that i find uh, really interesting something that jordan peterson said is that when you're doing something that really engages you and really interests you it's mm. almost like time doesn't exist because yeah. two hours go by and you're like five seconds. Yeah. You know, it feels like five seconds because you're so engaged in what you're doing. And and he's like, you need to f- just take note of the things that spark your passion and spark your interest. And I'd say yeah. if you'd, have, if you'd have spoken to me 10 years ago, what would be your dream job? I'll work in pro rugby. What would yeah. you hate? What would you hate to do in SSE? Work with young kids. Whereas now I'm like, Someone said to me, right, we're going to give you 200 grand to go. Yeah. 200. I know what the most, uh, the best paid strength and conditioning coach in the country is. Let's say 500 grand to go and work yeah. at a premiership rugby club. Yeah. Or we'll give you 25 pound now to work with his under nines. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to be over here with yeah. the under nines because that's yeah. what interests me. And that's what sparks my yeah. passion. And I think when you work on your own, mm. and you're doing a consultancy, it gives you that flexibility to be able to hang on a minute at the minute this is really interesting me, the, the mentorship that I'm running. Yeah. I'm going to put, put some energy into this. And, and with the given the circumstances we're in, I can, you know, yeah. write this book now that I've wanted to do. And it gives you that flexibility. Whereas it, when you're in the club, it's like, no, 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 it's Tuesday. It's six o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> you're in to do RPEs and you yes. that GPS data downloaded. And it almost sort of becomes a groundhog day, doesn't it? Just changing yeah. position names and stuff. And, um, I- I'm I'm a big believer in the saying is just because you can do it, should you do it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I turned down two jobs recently. Not for me. I can do them. I don't need to. Mm. You know, that's that Groundhog Day thing. Let's yeah. chase something else. Let's chase something bigger. Yeah. Let's be better. Let's be an example. Let's move the needle. Cultural shifts. Let's start opening people's eyes. You know, the more and more people start turning down low level pay positions in, in yeah. strength and conditioning, the, the more power the, the, the strength and conditioning coach has. We're the backseat driver. Sometimes we get to sit in the front of the car, but the player 
is in is in the driving seat. So we need to we need to be the best backseat driver we can, and that comes from taking responsibility of our own health, well being, financial security. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, what's happened now has made people, everyone now, appreciates much more the importance of family, the people they love around them, yeah. spending time with that, you know, doing what interests them. Yeah, everyone's seen the importance of that now. So I think I think you're right. It's a huge conversation. In strength and conditioning is like ah. Oh, they're giving full-time positions to interns that should be paid yeah. and this, that, and the other. It was like, well, nothing is going to change there until yeah. people start to not take that. And what does it take yeah. for people not to want to do that? Well, things like this and people like you speaking about your experiences of it and, yeah. and you know, speaking with other coaches to get them to understand the value in the family. Because I think that's it. You, like I said before, you need the outside voice to mm. – to sometimes like tap you on the shoulder and say like hang on a minute is yeah. that right like, oh actually you know because you get so it's such an yeah. all-consuming world like you said you know you're yeah. working such long hours and you're so consumed by what's going on it's difficult to take that step back and look at what's going on around yeah. you isn't it? It, it's a little quick story like when i was do the interview process and stuff for the mentorship one of the guys that's on it now is from newcastle and he was working full-time in sport and uh and he left to spend more time with his son and I, I just and the way he delivered it that's a you know and he was talking about like self-esteem and value and that's the this is the knock-on effect of the industry people devalue themselves and they feel like shit and um and i said i said to him why are you upset you get to spend time with your son you should be incredibly proud of yourself that you're strong enough to make that decision I'm incredibly proud of you. I don't even know you. Yeah. And he just looked at me. We're doing a Zoom call. He looked at me down the thing and he was like, yeah, thanks. It's just that outside voice. You see that for his, I quit a job that I thought I was going to have so I could spend more time with my son. It's fucking brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Because obviously going to be dad. Dad's always at work. Yeah. Who's dad? Who's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's floats, aren't there? That when they come home, if they work jobs abroad, they come home. The kids start crying. I don't know who it is just to walk through the door. Yeah. But I think, um, I think that that is uh, a big a big part of it is that is people just reevaluating what they're doing and why they're doing it, and mm. it can't it it can't be stressed enough. But I, I suppose the other side of it is you've got to be a little bit careful because it can make you people also kill you. So this yeah. is something I talk about with Tom Farrow because he had a very similar thing. You know, he he walked away from wasps because it wasn't it wasn't the right thing for him. And he's like, yeah. but I know it, it could be the making of me, but it could be <laughs> it could be the death of me. So you've got to be very careful with how yeah. you do it and planning it out properly. But yeah. um, I think that that sometimes that sometimes gets glossed over because yeah. people talk about the successes and what an amazing yeah. difference it's made. But I think the other thing and is. I, I, i'll give you some honesty on that with me as well you know imperfect action i just i just i was like right, i'll coach you i'll do it I'll, I'll coach you you know i wanted to um um present at seminars so i hosted my own yeah, yeah. i'm starting a seminar i'm doing it i had 85 people to my first one you know um and so that's that's where it is you know what it'll either make you it'll break you and 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 it it won't break you if you do it with the best intention. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
so yeah. carry on to your other point. Sorry. No, 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 that's fine. No, mate, that's been absolutely fantastic. It's, uh, thanks ever so much for your time. I think it's, there's a there's probably a whole lot more that we could go into and it will be sort of interesting to pick this up and come back to it once once things open up again and um, yeah, definitely see how things are going. But thanks ever so much. I think uh, it was really interesting. The speed stuff will definitely be of value. And I think there's probably more conversation to be had around that thing around coaches going out on their own, building their own businesses. And I think there's a huge, huge area for potential for that. You know, when you look at how many pro sports clubs there are and the money and the time and the hours there are versus the population of the country and who you could be working with and, you know, working in schools, working with grassroots clubs, you know, I think it's going to become a huge area. But thanks so much. No, thank you very much. And thank you, everyone who, who listened. Top man. Speak to you soon. If you'd like to get hold of Sam, you can check him out on Instagram. His handle is at coach underscore Sportland, S-P-O-R-T-L-A-N-D. And his website also is www.coachsportland.co.uk. And you can check out all his training and uh, and coaching resources that we spoke about in the podcast. And uh, if you want to get uh, in touch with Sam directly, the best place to do that is on email He's sam at coachsportland.co.uk.